We all got a bit of a shock to the system when Guido van Rossum decided to step down as the leader and top decider of the Python language and CPython runtime. This happened due to many factors, but was precipitated by the so-called walrus operator debate. That's over at PEP 572. It's been about nine months since then, and the Python community has responded and things are back on track. I'm excited to welcome Brett Cannon to this episode to give us an update on where we are and how we got here. He's a frequent guest and Python core contributor, so he has an inside view of what happened. This is Talk Python to Me, episode 209, recorded April 18th, 2019. Welcome to Talk Python to Me, a weekly podcast on Python, the language, the libraries, the ecosystem, and the personalities. This is your host, Michael Kennedy. Follow me on Twitter where I'm at mkennedy. Keep up with the show and listen to past episodes at talkpython.fm and follow the show on Twitter via at talkpython. Brett, welcome back to Talk Python. Thank you, Michael. Glad to be back. It's great to have you back. I love all of your appearances here and all the stuff that you're doing for the Python space. And this is kind of a, a double one. You're a core developer and participating in this new governance model at like a higher level. So you sort of helped create it and then got put into position. So that's going to be so much fun to talk about. And I feel like, I don't know how you feel, just kind of kick this off, but I feel like the Python space is in a brighter, nicer place than it was eight months ago, six months ago, whatever that uh, whole time was. Yeah, I'd like to think so. I mean, when Guido dropped his big surprise bomb on everyone on July 12th, 2018, a day I will never forget. Things were kind of hectic there for quite a while. And well, I'm sure we'll get into it. Things kind of calmed down back in December and then things really settled down in February. And I think we're starting to get back into our groove and things are going, but I think everyone's more or less happy with where things are. We're still feeling our way through because it's all still very fresh, but yeah, I'm optimistic about the future. For sure. So am I. So before we get into all those topics though, maybe let's just sort of set the stage with you as a guest so folks know. Tell us what you do day to day, maybe in your regular job in the open source space. You got a lot going on. My job is actually divided into two sections. One is I am a principal software engineering manager now, as of last month, at Microsoft, leading the dev team for the Python extension for VS Code. Right on! Congratulations, that's great. Yeah. Well, one of the uh, reasons I did that was dividing my time uh, allowed me to do that, and now I get to divide the other part of my time working on Python. So Microsoft's just letting me basically split my time between the two and just get to do both. Oh, that's really cool. So they're giving you like 50% time or something in that realm to just make Python better? Yeah, basically, when I agreed to be a manager, I also was able to then say like, I'd like to divide my time between the two. And I say, yep, sure, great. You're now on this steering council thing. It makes sense. So go for it. So Based on wow, how I'm really able cool. to find the time, I, I get to spend it. You feel like Microsoft's in a different place than it was 10 years ago with regard to open source? Yeah. <laughs> Had you asked me 10 years ago, would I even have been willing to consider working for Microsoft? The answer would have been a flat out no. So yeah. very much a different place than it used to be. I know when I told my family I was going to accept a job offer from Microsoft, their jaws dropped to the floor. And then I had to explain, <laughs> it's a different place. You don't know about the new CEO. It's a thing. And it's continued to be a very good good thing. thing. It seemed like that. Yeah, well, exactly. And you hear Satya actually talk internally where he says, like, when it makes sense to give back to open source, give back to open source. We're consuming it. We should give back where it makes sense. And it's great. That's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, when I saw him, researched him a little bit when he was promoted to the CEO job, I thought, there's a chance that something like this will be happening. Mm -hmm. But you never know, right? You never know what's going to happen. But I feel like it, you know, like the... Sort of the good optimistic view that's coming to, to reality. Yeah, I continue to be very happy to be working there and have absolutely no qualms. And I would hope people who know me well enough know that if I had moral issues, I would not be there. And I continue <laughs> to be happy to be there. So Right on, right on. Well, you know, it's it's kind of a, a world where you have a lot of choices as a experienced developer. So pretty much if you're an experienced developer and you're somewhere consciously or not, you're kind of choosing to be there, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'd like to think so, at least. Yeah, cool. All right, so that's the day-to-day W2 side of the world. What about the open source, you know, MIT, GPL side of the world? And actually, it's a T4 side of my world because I'm in Vancouver, Canada. So I get a oh, different okay, tech so- form. <laughs> Beautiful. I tried to weave them together. Yeah. Other than that, the the open source specific bit is I've been a core contributor to Python going on 16 years, actually, as of 
today of our recording. Exactly. Wow, what a cool anniversary. Yeah. That's a long time. Yeah, first commit was yeah exactly in 20, sorry, 2003 as of today. Wow. Yeah, that's awesome. And then on top of that, I am now one of the founding, uh, inaugural members of Python Steering Council, which we will obviously be getting into. Yeah, that's the, the main topic, which is really cool. Congratulations on being nominated. I know that your name got thrown around in a, a couple of ways, and there was definitely different competing styles of governance that were thrown out. And one of them was, we pick a new BDFL. <laughs> and people are like, we could, we're going to pick Brett Cannon. That'd be fun. Did that kind of uh, scare you a little bit, or is that okay? Or what do you see like when you heard your name being passed around like that? Yeah, so I mean, we we obviously can get more in depth into it when later on if we di- when we discuss the possibilities we had for our governance models. But it was very humbling and flattering when people brought up, well, maybe we should just stick with the single dictator, even if they're voted in or what have you. And that my name, I feel like such a humble brag on this, but my name was consistently tossed around as who as the one of the few people people were comfortable with potentially having that position. So it was very nice. I did have conversations with my wife that if this did happen, are you okay <laughs> with this? Luckily, my wife, Andrea, is very understanding. It's like, yes, as long as you get to continue to take your month off from open source and you still dedicate at least one full day every weekend to not touching your email on open source, she was fine <laughs> with it. So, But yes, it was extremely flattering yeah, that good. people thought that of me. Yeah, I would have been happy had that been the outcome, uh, at least on a personal level. But your wife does a good job of protecting your energy and your time. And I think, you know, we all kind of need something like that as well, right? Like, it's easy to say, at least for me personally, it's easy to say yes to 100 things and then go like, wait, I have time for three of these. Yeah, no, I'm extremely lucky that uh, I was already heavily involved in Python when I met her. So she knew what she was getting into. And actually, (laughs) I think I don't know how much I've told this story publicly. But when I first met Andrea, she did the usual and Googled me and then found out what I did. And then subsequently, she basically understood it. And then she later told a friend of hers who was getting their degree in CS who I was. And her friend said, oh, that's epic. And she's never <laughs> forgotten that, that that, that cool. played a part in my life. And so she's always been very understanding about making sure that I never feel like I can't participate. It's just been making sure it's at a healthy level. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I guess maybe that's a good segue into maybe back into July, not you individually, but, you know, open source. Yeah. It definitely has some some sides that can be rough, right? Like you work on these projects and you don't have time or energy necessarily to keep adding features or that you don't want to go in the direction that someone else wants to go to. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're on the receiving end of somebody's unpaid, unearned expectation, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> July of 2018 and the subsequent couple months before then were a very rough time to be a core dev and specifically to have your name be Guido Van Rossum. It was not not a pleasant time in the world. For those who don't know, basically Guido ended up going with an idea that's encapsulated in Python has proposal 572. This assignment expressions, Emily Morehouse landed that feature support actually, uh, I think, a month or two ago. And so it will be actually in Python 3.8. So don't be upset if you don't know what it is. You'll know by the end of the year. But it was extremely controversial. For those of you who don't know, it's a new piece of syntax that basically lets you do assignments in context of where you can do expressions. So, for instance, an expression would be like the guard you put in an if statement. Right, so you could do if a colon equals function expensive function call yeah, call function yeah right. exactly now you have access to a and you don't have to do that as a separate line like you normally would have done before where you would do a equals expensive function call if a then do something right and it sounds so like okay we don't need it to be that concise right it's not like APL or something insane we could have that extra line but the thing is it opens up new possibilities around like expressions generator expressions listed comprehensions things like that where you can't have more than one line right like I want to for something in a group test that thing and then return some part of that right those would actually be like double function calls without the assignment operator and things like this. Exactly. There are certain things that you basically couldn't do without making your function calls item potent and such in generator expressions. I personally also think it's a key point that it improves the expressiveness and conciseness of some code. Like before, if you did the A equals solution and then did the guard on the if on the A, you didn't necessarily 
know if the author of that code meant for the scoping of that variable to be just that if block. But if you use an assignment expression, it's very much communicated that I do not expect anyone to necessarily touch this outside. Now, obviously, Python doesn't add scoping to that level, but it does show intent. And because Python's always very much about readability and productivity and making it easier to read code, the hope is, is that in those cases, this will help in that area. Yeah. So I don't think we need to dig too far into this feature, but I do want to make a quick comment because I think it's pretty interesting on like this whole feature and the debate around it was kind of what was the straw that broke the camel's back for Guido and like all the pressure and stuff. But so my first impression was interesting, not terrible syntax. I'm not sure that we need this. You know, so I'm just like, well, it's it's just adding more syntax that I don't really know necessarily super inter... But like six months later, I'm like, yeah, that's a pretty nice feature. I kind of like having it there. And so, you know, I feel like I could have been, you know, theoretically a person like, oh, we don't need this. Get it out of here. And now I'm I'm pretty happy with it. I, that's not how it was, but I, you know, shifted a little. Yeah. And honestly, that happens a lot. I mean, a lot of people had the very much the initial, and I don't want to say knee jerk, that seems almost rude, but the initial reaction that you did, Michael, where it's like, oh, okay, that's nice. But do I really need new syntax for this? Because... I don't know how many people remember this phrase because this was bigger back like a decade ago, but saying that Python fits your brain, right? People like Python because the core concepts to be fully productive in the language are small and encapsulated and flow through each other nicely enough that it doesn't take a lot of mental effort to fully understand how the general language works. Now, that doesn't mean you necessarily understand how meta classes work and that's fine, but the general day-to-day stuff can all fit in your head. And Anytime we ever add anything to language, especially syntactically, it causes everyone to suddenly go, is this going to finally be the thing that pushes a part of Python's semantics out of my head day to day? And I'm suddenly going to end up, we're going to suddenly swing towards C++. And for 8% of the projects, you use 1% of the language. And you'll never fully understand how it works. So a lot of people had that reaction. And it was really really voracious, I think, because a lot of people realized it didn't, it opened up cases, as you said, about generator expressions, and it did open express enough, but not enough people recognized in their own cases where they would have needed this to alleviate a problem that it caused a huge backlash. Like I saw people state publicly, I will refuse to review pull requests that use this syntax. Now, granted, this was also said somewhat early on, and the PEP did evolve a good amount over its lifetime. Like when it first got written, it got sent to Python ideas and then it got cleaned up and then it kept iterating there and then got sent over. And then before complete rewrites were finished and everything that was brought up on Python ideas were put into that pep, it got moved over to Python dev. And then a whole nother set of arguments happened that actually had been covered on Python ideas. And so it was very... It was a very long, sustained amount of negativity towards Guido and just the pep in general and just a lot of, I'd I'd like to say incorrectness, but honestly, a lot of rudeness and just people really overreacting, I think. Why do you think that is? I'm not questioning. I know that it's out there. Like if you do anything on the internet, you know that no matter even how good intended it is, you're going to receive it. And I feel like this is even deeper into people's identities, right? If you're a Python developer and you go messing with what Python is, like that can definitely bring out some emotions. I think a lot of people view what programming language they use like the equivalent to artists having preferences over the paintbrush or the pencils that they use or what have you. Ask any artist what medium they work in and they'll tell you, but then ask them exactly what tools they use to work in that medium and they will have like a brand name of a pencil that they buy all the time and they will only draw with because it just feels exactly the way they want. And I mean, artists are very opinionated about the tools they use and software developers are no different. If you ask them what programming language they use and what like frameworks they use, the stuff that they live and breathe every day at work, They will be very particular if you give them the option. And so the idea that someone is going to take their favorite thing and potentially change it in a way that they view as negative, and especially if they view it as changing it in a way that will open the floodgates, because this is the other thing, is everyone always feels like this is going to be a magic tipping point for Python, that suddenly we do this one thing and it's going to lead to a cascading effect, which honestly, after 16 years, has never happened. (laughs) Because we had this exact same argument when we were adding true and false as keywords, right? Like. This is long running, like people did not like the idea of making keywords out of true and false way back in the day, and the world's not fallen over. 
So I'm so glad they are. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Everyone's happy with that. But once again, it's one of those initial reactions is like, no, we really don't need this. This is unnecessary. We can keep using zero and one. Python has existed without it for this long. Why do we have to go screw with something that's working great to, oh yeah, this is beneficial. It's a lot of over the years, trusting Guido's design sense. And a lot of people just don't have that history of realizing that this stuff's come and gone before. I mean, history is cyclical. And it just, we're just more connected and the community is literally just bigger. And it seems like we're constantly hitting like exponential growth. I don't have numbers to back that up, but it sure seems like it sometimes, which just leads to that many more people suddenly coming in and just feeling the need to comment and not only provide feedback, but provide negative feedback in a non-constructive fashion. And yeah. it's exhausting. And especially when there's one Guido or one pep author and the whole community. And if the community is growing exponentially, it's not shrink, it's not scaling the number of people who are proposing something to the number of people who are coming and leaving comments. And so it can yeah, feel a little I, I crushing, like, honestly. Yeah, my visual thing when I heard about all this and you know, and all this, I, I felt I was just like, okay, there's like this huge press of all of this community pressure, and there's like a diamond at the end, like a sharp diamond, just focusing it all like right onto him. And I'm, I don't, you know, fault him at all for just going. I just need to spread this out. The PSI is too high, like the pressure is too high. I can't take it all. It's going to make me unhappy, right? Yeah, and I mean, the thing that people have to remember, it's not like. Guido had staff, right? It's not like, oh, yeah, Guido can hand this off to his communication manager to handle the yeah. feedback or a PM who's <laughs> going to take the feedback from the community and sort through and go like, okay, that person's just really upset and angry. That's just vitriol. That's not really providing constructive feedback. Oh, that actually is constructive feedback. We should handle it a lot. We're not staffed. We're not a company. We're a volunteer-run group of people. And so, yeah, it's very much, as you said, it's a lot of pressure pushing down to a single point and that's a lot. And in the yeah. end, he basically snapped or not snapped. That sounds overnight. He basically broke. He made a, <laughs> yeah, he made a decision that that was enough. He'd had enough. Yeah, exactly. For sure. On July 12th, after all this, Guido sent an email unannounced. No one knew it was coming. Not me, not a single other core dev I've ever spoken to saying he's retiring. He was going to retire from being the benevolent dictator for life for Python. And it was going to take a permanent vacation. Because he's just like, yeah. I never want to have to go through this ever again. And I don't blame him. Yeah, I don't either. There's an interesting interview with him on the MIT Artificial Intelligence podcast, where it's, they actually talk a lot about the history and, and this kind of stuff. And you can, you know, like sort of hear his story and the timeline uh, he personally went through on that as, as well. This portion of Talk Python to Me is brought to you by Linode. Are you looking for hosting that's fast, simple, and incredibly affordable? Well, look past that bookstore and check out Linode at talkpython.fm slash Linode. That's L-I-N-O-D-E. Plans start at just $5 a month for a dedicated server with a gig of RAM. They have 10 data centers across the globe. So no matter where you are or where your users are, there's a data center for you. Whether you want to run a Python web app, host a private Git server, or just a file server, you'll get native SSDs on all the machines, a newly upgraded 200 gigabit network, 24-7 friendly support even on holidays and a seven-day money-back guarantee. Need a little help with your infrastructure? They even offer professional services to help you with architecture, migrations, and more. Do you want a dedicated server for free for the next four months? Just visit talkpython.fm slash Linode. If this is the end, you know, how much of the Python 2 versus 3 debate do you think wore him down so, such that this was enough to make him go, fine, I'm done. And so just go, well, that was a bad week or whatever. No, I don't think the two to three transition in the community really did it. That was very long and very low level, just continual over a decade. We'd all dealt with it. We've all seen that Python 3 won in the end and everyone's been happy with that and all that. It's just been long. I think it yeah. was really, Guido had over time just been slowly scaling back his day-to-day -day involvement anyway, because he realizes that someday he will have to retire for just because he's tired. Honestly, he could die. Who knows? It's just something we always had to plan for anyway. So he was always scaling back his involvement. And this just finally, I think I saw it. I mean, had you asked me before this happened when I thought he was going to retire, I would have said, yeah, based on how he looks and how he's feeling, not physically look, just how he looks in terms of his interactions and the way he's communicating and stuff. I would have said, yeah, I, I, I'd give it two or three more years before he says like, okay, let's start to work on a transition. Yeah. But I think this yeah, yeah. hyper accelerated it. 
and made it a very clean and somewhat abrupt break to just like, okay, we're just going to deal with this now. <laughs> Maybe it was better because it's like, this is how you're going to deal with it. You're going to deal with it now, not like slowly ease into it, right? Yeah, although, although funny enough, you say this is how we're going to deal with it was not really how it happened. Because if you go back and read Guido's <laughs> email, it it's like, <laughs> you're all going to figure out how to deal with it. I'm just stepping back. Good luck. I yeah, called the great yeah, yeah. Guido mic drop because he literally basically said like, I'm taking permit vacation and I'm not going to dictate how you handle this. I don't want to... And if you know Guido, it makes sense that he would approach it this way, that he want, wouldn't want to force anything upon people. But it did put everything in an interesting position on how to handle this very unique situation. Yeah, definitely unique. So maybe we could dig into that. Like It was, I'm not going to be the leader or decider of this community anymore. Figure it out, like you said. And so I guess... That really started to take structure around PEP 8000, right? And that's where the, the potential options were gathered up? Well, that was honestly... Was that farther down? It took a little longer than that because first there were... We went through the uh, the five stages of grief, right? Like there was literal <laughs> right. denials. Like, is this a weird joke? He said vacation. What's the date? Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. He said vacation. He didn't say retirement. Does that mean he could come back? Could we maybe ask him to help make the decision? All this stuff. <laughs> and I mean, like I emailed private. Uh, I mean, we'd email him and he'd go like, yeah, nope, I'm not kidding. And nope, I'm not making any decisions. I'll provide feedback where I think it's timely and appropriate, but otherwise I'm staying out of it. He basically really took a step back and just like, I'm not getting involved. I will provide suggestions if I think something would really make a difference. But and I mean, really like he, like, I don't know if I could, he made more than five suggestions throughout the history of the whole process. So like he really stepped back. So yeah, so we went through all that. And then we started to talk as a group, how are we going to handle this? How do we, how do we make this decision? How do we decide how we're going to decide even, right? It, it, it's a really odd situation to be dropped in where you have a pre-existing group of people who had a very clear governance structure of there's Guido and that's it. Basically, we can come to our own agreements, but basically Guido always was the last resort, was the final decider, was the king of the seven kingdoms or queen. <laughs> it was the way it was. And so it was very weird to suddenly go like, yeah, you have no leadership now. There's absolutely no yeah. one in charge. No one has any more rights than anyone else technically to make decisions, to say anything. It truly had to all come through consensus. Which is dicey, right? Because you have to also remember, this is the same group of people who also had just gotten really riled up about PUP 572, who are very passionate about this project, <laughs> who all have opinions. And we're talking about a project that, like for me, for instance, I've put 16 years of my life into this, right? So I'm right, and deeply invested. Hundreds of thousands, yeah, and millions of people, this is their job, right? Yeah. Or they've built companies on it, or they built products on it. I mean, there's there's a lot at stake. Look at you, right? If I screw this yeah. up, suddenly poor Michael doesn't have a great podcast to talk to <laughs> and has his training that he does. And like, oh my God, I suddenly put one of my favorite podcasters out of work because I screwed this up, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no pressure. Bro. Yeah, no pressure. It, it was a heavy. It was a heavy responsibility, but it was also a heavy one with no clear guidance on how to handle it because no one was in charge. It was really weird. It was pretty much almost the epitome of anarchy. It was just a yeah. bunch of people who happened to know each other having to figure out how to run themselves. It's almost like there was a country and the government, the leader just stepped down or something, right? There's all these people that are still, they're committed to being there. They live there or whatever. Now, now what are they going to do, right? Yeah, exactly. It's like we were a little country and suddenly the government just said, yeah, we're just on ourselves. Good luck. Bye. <laughs> like, <laughs> okay. How do you rebuild a government from scratch? I mean, who gets yeah. to ever do that? Like, and a lot of people don't because it's, it, turns out it's kind of hard. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely hard. I guess maybe we could talk about some of the options. I thought, I know we spoke a little bit on Python Bytes long ago, probably August or late July about this. You know, let's maybe just go through some of the proposals that people had. Yeah. So basically, while we were actively discussing how we were going to handle voting, we started to more or less quickly solidify that we're going to handle it through the PEP process because that's what we're, we were all familiar with things would have to be written down and very clearly defined because this was basically going to be our version of a charter or a constitution or basically our, our set of rules and laws of how we were going to run the project. So that quickly at least got settled. And in the end, we ended up with six options. One was PEP 8011, 
And by the way, all of these PEPs start from 8,010 and stay within the 8,010s range. So 8,011 was uh, a proposal to have a trio of Pythonistas. So basically, that was taking Guido and split up into three ways, more or less. Were they going to have like a, a voting block style where they all were kind of co-equal? Or was it this person's going to handle this aspect and that person's going to handle that aspect. It was very, basically we were going to elect three people and it was they were going to act as if they were unified as a single dictator. So it was very much just I see. single responsibility split into thirds and basically had to agree, at least two out of the three had to agree to make anything happen. Yep, okay. So compare that to actually 8,010, which I accidentally skipped, which was basically let's have an elected dictator. And a single individual. That was what you commented about where my name got tossed about. Exactly. Guido stepped down. Who's going to take his place? Yeah, and that one was a little interesting from the perspective of some people said, like, we really can't have a discussion about this, that pep and that model without knowing who we are specifically talking about. Right. So some people were like, I'm not even willing to discuss this unless we have a name attached to it because it's really going to be a vote for that person. And other people want, no, it shouldn't yeah, be. It yeah. should really be about whether or not we like this model and then we will just all choose who we think should we'll handle that. And yeah. if you happen to think no one, that's fine, but we don't have to have it specifically attached to a person. It honestly very quickly though became very clear that people in general did not like that model. So it was there kind of to fill and there was some initial interest in it, but it really didn't stay a top contender for very long, in my opinion. The trio one did, I will say. PIP 8012 was a community governance model. Uh, that one was basically following Rust's model, if I remember correctly. Yeah, exactly. And that's very much basically people form working groups and the working groups make decisions and there are ways to form working and the PEP specified how working groups would be formed and how they would be potentially dissolved. And But basically... Everyone was equal footing. People could create work groups as necessary. People would get voted into adding to working groups. And then those working groups would work together to reach conclusions for things. That, I believe, came in actually second in all the voting in the end, while the trio selection was third. Okay. PEP 8013, the external governance model. That one was somewhat interesting, but actually never really caught on with anyone. That one was basically saying what we should do is almost run Python as a company where we have some people from outside the project act as almost our, our VPs. And we just go up and report to our VPs about what's going on. Like, here's a PEP. I'm going to give you the quick presentation on it. They would ask questions and they would say, yep, we're going to do it. Or they would say, nope, you need to go fix these things. Kind of like a board of directors. Or yeah, something. exactly. It, it was very much a, yeah, you come forward with your proposal. They'll look at it during your monthly meeting, sync up with them. And they'll go, you got to change these things, these things. Or, yep, okay, it's all good. And we'll take it and go for it. But the interesting thing was, it was specifically required the members of this board to be not Python core developers to try to bring in basically unbiased viewpoint from outside the project. And honestly, I think a lot of core developers just didn't like that idea. They thought too much history and too much understanding of how the project works and just potential disconnect from the project to the community would be too much and it just necessarily wouldn't lead to the right result. Yeah, the people making the decisions, they don't have as much skin in the game, right? They don't have to live with it. They don't have to implement it. They just like it or don't like it. Yeah, exactly, right? So it was one of these things that honestly, I just, it was an idea that got proposed, but I don't think it ever, ever really went anywhere. So the next one was 8,014. That one was basically anarchy. And actually in the PEP, Jack Jansen wrote it. <laughs> he said he would have just used the term anarchy because it was technically accurate, but there's such negative connotations around the term that he didn't want to use that in the wording of the actual PEP. But it was basically just everyone's on equal footing. People can propose stuff. There would be a voting certification council, kind of, where basically there would be a group of people who, when people wanted a PEP decided, for instance... They would call for a vote and people would vote and that council would decide whether the vote passed or not. But they would decide not only based on numeric numbers, but also on who voted and who voted how. And it was potentially going to be open to the whole community or just core devs. It was basically up to them to decide how they'd run the vote and make that final call right, of okay. how that outcome really looked. So 
I think it was just basically too wishy-washy for a lot of people to go like, yeah, I want that. Yeah, some of these do sound kind of wishy-washy. It's like, well, that could be good or it could go really bad and it depends who's here. And it just, I don't know, it just, it seems really vague and vague and like law governance kind of seems like a bad combination. Yeah. And so, I mean, the idea of like, let's not necessarily put people in the same position that Guido was put into, but I think developers being developers, we like structure. And I think there just wasn't quite yeah. enough structure for that to catch. Sure. Okay. The next one was 8015. That one, Organization of the Python Community, it was kind of a hybrid between let's do everything through working groups and let's do everything through a trio, but with a panel of five. But everything was basically going to be done through a more or less a vote. So it was another one of those that had ideas, but I, I think everyone viewed it as enough of a hybrid that it never quite caught the eye of people who liked the trio idea or who liked the working group idea. And honestly, if anything, it was, I know for my, when I was thinking about it, it was like, I was thinking this was really going to be a vote splitter between those two. And yeah. depending on what voting system we ended up choosing in the end, that was going to potentially hurt those other peps. Right. So it was there, but it never, I don't think, once again, really caught on because it wasn't quite clearly as strongly positioned as like, this is how we're going to do it. And this is a easy way to explain it versus it has a panel or a board or whatever term, but it also has working groups and it's all being done through voting. So I just, I think people typically in all this kind of much like politics felt very strongly on one way or the other. And this was once again, too much of a hybrid to really right. catch this, people. This middle ground. Yeah. It's a little too nuanced or whatever. Yeah. Okay. And then the last one, which was the one that ended up winning, uh, was 8,016. Uh, it's now actually known as PEP 13. And that's the steering council model. And basically what that did was it said, okay, we're going to choose a council of five people. And those five people are going to have basically absolute power, except for changing what's in PEP 13. And PEP 13 basically said they can make any decision. They make decisions on all the PEPs and all that stuff and basically decide how things happen. But they should always try to seek to do it through consensus. So it's, it's funny. It basically says, short of what's written in PEP 13, the council has absolute power, but they should look to use it as little as possible. Right, I see. So they could theoretically take the steering council down and like change the model or something, right? Well, no, because that's actually specified in PEP 13 that they can't do that. So that's one of the things they okay. can't do. So PEP 13 very much is not is not about necessarily specifying what powers the board has. It's very much specifying how the board gets elected, how the council, sorry, gets elected. And how the potential voters for the council get brought in. So the PEP is very much structured around the council can do almost anything except it can't dictate how the elections occur for the council and they can't dictate how someone becomes a core developer and who's considered a core developer. And that's really what PEP 13 is focused around because otherwise... It sort of keeps the few pieces in place to keep it on the Yeah, and the interesting thing was is the way it was kind of structured initially, and it still is, is it was almost worded in a way of... I publicly said this when it was being discussed is this pep was almost worded as if it was kicking the can down the road, if you know this expression, of basically, we're going to elect a council that's going to choose how we're going to run the project. Because once again, it was as it was worded, it was like, they have absolute power, but they're not supposed to really use it. So it was really like, all right, are we going to do kind of more of a, are they going to act more like a trio? Or are they going to do more of a working group approach? And it, the pep actually said yeah. they should look at the voting results of this overall thing and work with that to choose how, to hap- how it should work. Now, I personally sure. didn't like that approach because it's like, that's not really what's going to happen here. What's going to happen is you're going to elect a council that has power, more or less like like Guido, except divided five ways, and you're just asking them to please consider doing other things. But technically, they don't have to do any of it. As long as they don't interfere with how core devs are chosen and who qualifies as a core dev and how the elections happen, they can basically do whatever they want. Yeah. And so yeah, yeah. basically, I was saying, uh, you might as well just specify the trio because the hopefulness of that, I just didn't think it was actually going to happen. Yeah. So what's the difference between the steering council and the trio of Pythonistas? I mean, it feels like maybe the steering council just has more, <laughs> but is there some other principal difference between those two models? From the top of my head... This is some of this information, luckily, is just completely left because it's no longer relevant. Now it's all historical <laughs> interest. That's right. But from what I remember, technically, I don't, the election cycles are different. Like the trio, I think, was going to be elected for mm. longer. And PEP 13 has the councils elected per release cycle. Okay. And right now, that's every 18 months, Correct. right? Although this initial one's truncated because we're, we have a release later this year and we all got elected starting in February. So 
this first inaugural group is going to be kind of truncated. But it was also brought up that pretty much every group that has a system like this, pretty much once you get on the council, chances are unless you really screw up or you step down, you're just going to get, get, keep getting reelected because people are always happy with yeah, the status quo if the status quo yeah. is working. Much like people not wanting to add new syntax to Python, if the status quo works, why mess with a good thing? <laughs> so I think everyone kind of yeah. went into it knowing that the first set of people who got elected would more or less continually be reelected. Yeah, they had a chance, yeah, yeah of sticking around for a but long yeah, time. Yeah, I think it was more the the fact that the, the steering council, Pep, very explicitly says, try to find consensus. Don't try to spring anything. Don't try to run as a dictator. Don't suddenly make big sweeping decisions. Try to talk to the group and try to work through it. But... In terms of a last result backstop, the council's there as necessary. So I think that's really the difference. This is the spirit really behind it. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Cool. That's the model that won, the steering council model. Yes. And we've had the elections. Yes. And we have Barry Warsaw. We have you on there. We have Carol Willing, Nick Coughlin. And it's really nice to see Guido is on there as well. That actually surprised me a little bit, but in a good way. Yeah. So actually, I'll admit Guido actually asked me. If I thought it was a good idea, personally, and I said yes, because and Guido said, as he always said, he wanted to continue, continue to contribute technical insights and his design sense, which I think we can all admit, based on how Python's turned out, is very good. And actually, one of the reasons a lot of people didn't like the new dictator model in that 8010 proposed, because a lot of people said that they didn't feel there was a single person other than Guido who had his design acumen his technical insight and abilities, and his way to kind of project and manage the community, as it were. So when Guido decided to do it, he said, like, I'd like to still run and be a part of it, not because he necessarily likes the day-to-day, like, management bits, but because he still wanted to be able to contribute his technical insights and his design acumen. And I think it also provided some transition and some validity to the council, right? Because... While Guido's not running it as a dictator anymore, he's still participating in an acts as a nice way to just smooth things over. And it's not just suddenly jarring, like, all right, now the person who was involved is completely gone. It's like, no, Guido's here. He's just sharing the load now across four other people. Yeah, exactly. He doesn't have to take all the work, and especially he doesn't have to take the negative pressure out yep, there, right? Exactly. So so he can let you have yeah. that. Just kidding. <laughs> that's that's good. This portion of Talk Python to Me is sponsored by Backlog from New Lab. Developers know the importance of organization and efficiency when it comes to collaborating on a team. And Backlog is the perfect collaborative task management software for your team. With Backlog, you can create tasks, track bugs, make changes, give feedback, and have team conversations right next to your code. You track progress with features like Gantt and Burndown charts. You document your processes right alongside your wikis. You can integrate with the tools used every day like Slack, Jira, and Google Sheets. You can automatically register issues from email or web form submissions. Take your work on the go using their top-rated mobile apps available on Android and iOS. Try Backlog for your team for free for 30 days using our special URL at talkpython.fm slash backlog. That's talkpython.fm slash backlog. So how does it feel as a core dev, you know, inside that group now that this change has been made? Like, does it feel significantly different? Does it feel like kind of the same? And I guess it's worth also pointing out that from July until like two months ago, whenever this election was finalized, there was no progress on PEPs or other decisions or like you had to first decide how to decide and now you can start making decisions on stuff that's been backlogged, right? Yeah, so, and not only on top of that, so yeah, you're right. Basically, anything that Guido would have needed to make a decision on, which is pretty much anything in a PEP or anything fairly controversial, Dev team felt split on, but where the status quo was not an option, was completely put on hold. Peps came in, but no peps went past any being open. Nothing. It, we froze completely from July 12th all the way until February 3rd, I think. 3rd, 4th? I can't, yeah, I can't remember. Like I was that, in yeah. New Zealand, so my day of the year was completely <laughs> skewed. It wasn't the same day. It was day. not the same day that everyone <laughs> else was day. dealing with when they got the results in and they were voting. So... Yeah. And then on top of that, what also added to this was every so often, usually at the Language Summit, Guido would do what we called a pep parade, where he would go through all the open peps and sometimes just make decisions right then and there that he just hadn't gotten through or had been putting off or what for whatever reason, had open peps that we had not dealt with. 
And so at language summits, sometimes he would go like, okay, let's go through the list of open paths. Like, okay, let's keep working on that, reject that, accept that. And it's literally, we just go through the list and we just get basic updates and shut some of the, close some of them, accept some of them, and then just kind of kick some of them back up into happening. But we hadn't done that in the 2018 language summit. So not only did we have anything that came in, but we had everything that was still open prior. So actually, when we started, I did a quick count and there were 38 open PEPs when the steering council was formed for the first time. <laughs> so so you're busy. we've had a backlog. But in terms of how it feels, I have a weekly meeting now with four of the people who I consider friends. So that's kind of cool. It allowed me to ask Microsoft to let me split my time more evenly and more in Python's favor than I had got to before, which was great. And so the workload honestly hasn't actually really felt like it's increased too much. Although honestly, yeah. a lot of stuff's been, management stuff's been backing up over the last week, but that's here nor there. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, otherwise, it basically just feels like a more concentrated conversation with Guido that I normally would have potentially had anyway with some other people. And... I guess kind of hard to balance based on the amount of extra time I'm now getting things to work. Thanks for what Microsoft's given me versus before and the added responsibility because there's technically added responsibility, but it also doesn't feel bad because like I trust Barry and Carol and Nick and obviously Guido. And so having us all just basically decide as a group over something versus just asking Guido and all going, okay, sure. Technically, does it feel more stressful that way? Yeah, it's probably not so different. I mean, if... Barry and you and Carol and Nick all went to Guido and said, hey, I know you're considering this. We all don't like it. He would probably take that strongly under consideration, right? Yeah, exactly. So if there was an all out like beforehand, the pre-July 12th days, yeah, had the whole community just like, had, like don't do This is not a good idea. Please don't do this. He really would have taken it under consideration. And now there's just five of us. Right. So that's the benevolent part. He wasn't like... Uh, a violent dictator or something. He was a benevolent yeah, exactly. dictator. You could talk to him. I mean, to be perfectly <laughs> honest, the the hardest part of dealing with this right now is we are all, both the council and everyone who, every other core developer, we're just still just trying to figure out how all this functions. Like very topical, like literally before I came on to do this recording with you, Michael, is I opened up a proposal to set uh, voting timelines in PEP 13 for new core devs and for changes to the PEP itself. And I thought it was innocuous it was specifying we're going to leave votes open for one week for new core devs, and we're going to leave votes open for two weeks for any changes to PEP 13. That was it. The council did think it was yeah, it seems seems easy. easy. The council thought it was simple. And then right now we're having an active conversation like, well, okay, when we're proposing changes to this PEP, and I did it as one because in my mind, it's just specifying timelines. So it was a single change versus... Oh, this is one proposal for one timeline and one proposal for another timeline. But it's it's led to like, hey, you didn't talk to us about this. Why are you doing two at once? Just all this stuff that we just never really had to think about before. Because before it would have just been, Guido just did it and it was over. But now that we're trying to do this more consensus-based, and but we also don't know where the line of, do we really need to bother the Python development team with everything? We don't know quite, we're still filling out like, where's the line? Where do we bring in the whole team versus let's just get it done and let's not bother everyone and everyone's still feeling this whole situation out. So that's probably the biggest difference is just we, before this, just innately kind of just knew how things ran and how things worked and when we should and shouldn't do things. And now it's kind of more of an open, okay, I'm not quite sure how to have the situation. I'm going to try it and we'll see what happens. And <laughs> some people are happy and some aren't. Luckily, everyone's being very nice about all this, but we're... we're it's like when you move in with someone, right? You, there's these things uh -huh. that come up. You have no idea. Like, I didn't know you left the dishes out all night. I always do them. I can't believe I wake up. Like, you're, wait a minute. That was a thing? I didn't even know this yep. was a thing. Right? Just all these surprises, uh -huh. right? And then you quickly learn about <laughs> which ones you can live with and which ones you really are going to have to work with the other person to change because it just drives you bonkers. <laughs> Marriage. <Exactly. laughs> so, yeah. So, it's an ongoing, it's an ongoing conversation, really, between the council and the core devs uh, about how we want to make this situation work and how best to handle things. Cause we honestly, a lot of this is brand, brand new and it still is. Yeah, sure. Uh, you're optimistic about it in the end though. Yeah. I mean, if you look at it, we've gone through, I think the vast majority of the open peps have now either been closed because they were rejected or we deferred them because they were just sitting there incomplete or we've been finding BDFL delegates, we kept the term for finding people who we were going to delegate the decision of a PEP to. 
or the steering council has decided that if the steering council ever makes a decision, one of us will be the point person, but we'll decide as a group. Unless it's very specifically, we're specifically choosing an individual for a reason like Guido on, on some typing peps. It's just going to be Guido. He's not going to need to consult the rest of us because Guido's the expert and has a very that's, specific... That's his main focus. His focus and he yeah. has a vision and we trust him on that. So he doesn't need to consult with the rest of us on how to handle typing peps. But like two peps just the other day, I assigned to myself as the delegate, but it specifically says Brett Cannon in parentheses on behalf of the steering council. But yeah, I mean, otherwise it seems to be going well. As I said, I think it's really just at this point feeling out how what the balance is in terms of what the steering council should do on its own and be self-driving versus getting feedback and direction from the core team versus when we should just make decisions versus consult and just where are the lines? Where's the balance? What's everyone happy with? And But otherwise, yeah, I think it's good. It's stable. It puts in place a mechanism to make sure there is always basically five people in charge, which helps give some form of stability that I think was really critical that we never really, we kind of all thought about in the back of our head about Guido always talking, joking about his retirement, but never really took too seriously because we figured it would <laughs> be a slow control transition versus a more abrupt Get it solved in the next six months transition. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah, I think it actually puts us on better footing because, as I, yeah, because now there's an explicit mechanism on how to always make sure there's always five people around to be in charge of the language and to make sure that it's functional. Right. Yeah. And with five, there's probably always going to be some continuity, right? Like you won't have the council overthrown. Very, it will be unlikely that that happens. I would be a little shocked. We released the voting numbers and there were, once again, it feels like such a humble brag, but Guido and I both got voted fairly high, fairly quickly. But everyone across the board got pretty good numbers. So I don't think, I feel like this, the, the spectrum of vote counts, it doesn't look like all of us like barely squeaked in compared to anyone else. So like if just one person had flipped their votes, it would have been a completely different right. outcome. So I think there would def- there would definitely be stability in transitions of certain people consistently make it through. And once again, I suspect all five of us have a decent chance of being reelected if we chose to, just because once again, if people decide the status quo works out and we, as we work out the, fill out these kinks and how people want to handle things, I think as long as we don't step on anyone's toes and make anyone feel really marginalized and like the yeah. core team doesn't have their voice being heard. Hopefully they're just going to be happy and just like, all right, just keep doing what you're doing and it won't be an issue. Yeah. So like if like for uh, 3.9, you guys come out and say, we've decided to make uh, Python a statically typed language and we'll have interfaces and all that. Like that may cause some ruffled feathers, but. Yes. And actually there is a way to recall the entire, to recall individuals or the council in PEP 13. So there is a mechanism to basically Interesting. pull the lever and eject us. I don't see that happening because Lord knows none of us want that for Python either. So yeah, no, I, I, I think it's going to work out well. It's just a matter of, as I said, just figuring things out. Ask me again in a year, yeah. and then I could probably give you a bit more definitive answer. But I'm very optimistic, and I and it's not even cautious. I'm just flat out optimistic. Yeah, that's great. I am as well. I mean, there was a lot of uncertainty in August and September, but now it feels like, well, the people that were generally running it, the core devs who are doing the heavy lifting are kind of still doing that, right? And people who are well-known in the community, are kind of making the decision. So I Yeah, I mean, the day-to-day never even stopped, right? Even on July 12th, people were still committing. I think the day-to-day changes and PRs and issue closing and all that stuff, that never, ever stopped. So that day-to-day definitely was never, never threatened and really an issue. So, yeah. Yeah, cool. So one thing I did want to ask you about is... Python's been growing like crazy and it's been bringing people from different areas and its growth in sort of corporate development mm-hmm. world is certainly seems like it's growing and there's a lot of folks who are coming in and, you know, Peter Wang, who was one of the potential people to be in the election, one of the candidates, I guess you would call him for the steering council. He was on the show 198 and he had some really interesting thoughts that having a lot of these corporate developers that are used to working with say Oracle or Microsoft, or someone who they're paying, mm-hmm. and then their role is to work with the tools and then maybe ask for features or give feedback because they have this commercial relationship. A lot of them may be bringing like that mentality to interacting with the core devs and the Python community. And he's he put out the idea that maybe that's going to change 
it's going to put different kinds of pressure and maybe a mismatch of expectations on these interactions. What do you think? I Are you concerned? Do you think it's okay? I'm not concerned just because I haven't seen it yet. Okay. That's good to hear. I've not seen any new corporate onslaught of suddenly corporations coming in saying, I want this, I want that. I mean, the closest thing I can think of that's even on that vein is VXWorks has been working on adding Python support to the real-time operating system. But they came in and just said like, okay. hey, we want to add Python support to VXWorks. We have some patches we need to make Python work. What can we do to try to make an official supported thing? And we pointed them to the PEP. I can't remember the number of what it takes to be a uh, officially supported platform. And that honestly, probably what's best is if you have patches that just make things function better, we'll take those. But if they're very VXWorks specific, we'll probably just ask you to maintain your own patch set. But that was it. They, they very much came in and were very inclusionary and not making demands like we are this company and we want this and you should make this happen like some yeah. users can be. Yeah, his his uh, thought was more not in that realm. Like I can certainly see a good relationship there. It was more like there's a person who is sort of a nine to five developer. They're not super passionate. They were doing Java, but then they got moved onto this other project and oh, it happened to have been done in Python. And maybe it's Python too. And it's kind of old and has these problems and they didn't really choose Python, but they have to make it work because they were told they have to make it work. And And now you support the package that's in the way of their thing working. And so you receive, you know, sort of that disconnect there. Mark. Yeah. So that would be more at the community level, I would argue, though, not at the yeah. core dev slash council level. So like... Yeah, yeah, of course. It definitely yeah, would, yeah. So I personally haven't come, bumped up against that. But the other thing I would say is, is Python's been successful at the corporate level for quite some time, I would argue, right? It's not like Instagram yeah. showed up yesterday. And Instagram is yeah. probably one of the largest single Python applications in terms of volume of users out there. So I don't think it's necessarily any different than any other growth we've seen in the community. I mean, from my perspective on the Python extension for VS Code, for instance, I do see somewhat uptick in terms of people learning. And I definitely see that as increasing over the last year and a half since uh, I've been leading that team. But I haven't seen a shift in something like all these corporate people coming like, Google. without this, I can't right, like I, use no. this, blah, blah, yeah, blah. Yeah. All right, that's good. But I do see where I have seen a feeling of corporations and just the general enterprise world coming in saying like, okay, what Python, we now really rely on Python. This isn't just some little side thing that we rely on, like <laughs> we're billions of dollars in kind of relying on. What right. are we going to do? Because something I think a lot of people really don't realize is if you look at the popular languages out there, and I don't you can choose whatever scale you want, right? Python's always in the top five now. Like, I do not see anything yeah. anymore that yeah. puts us at six. We're always key on five. And honestly, I'm seeing more and more where we're in the top three. But regardless of which of those top five languages you choose, we're consistently the only language that is fully volunteer run, right? Like JavaScript is run by a committee that is staffed by people paid to work on that committee and on JavaScript by major corporations, usually browser vendors. C++, same thing. Companies that really heavily rely on C++ and care enough that they will employ LLVM and GCC developers to get their compilers to run faster. PHP's got Zen and they've got stuff. I mean, the list goes on. Java's got Oracle. I mean, we are the only one at that level that is completely run by a group of volunteers. Even Rust, right, is backed by Mozilla. And that's very much a community-run project. But they still have the backstop of Mozilla. Python doesn't have that with anybody. I think that gives some corporations pause that like, well, okay, what happens if all the volunteers walk away? With Go, I know at least Google's there and Google's so invested that unless Google tanks, Go's going to be around and Google's not about to tank. Same with Rust, like Mozilla's backing it. Mozilla's not about to go anywhere, even as a nonprofit. So that's in good hands. All those kind of languages have that kind of financial stopgap to make sure that nothing happens. Now, we have the PSF, and that's great, but it's still, and you could argue that having that nonprofit is really what our backstop is. But the PSF has always purposely kind of taken a light approach in terms of some of the core devs helped and people in the community create the PSF. The PSF didn't create core devs, basically. Right. It's more there to support the legal mumbo jumbo and the trademarks and all that kind yeah, of stuff, it, right? It doesn't actually support you as this is the company that drives 
the tech. Yeah, it's not like the Mozilla Foundation in that regard. It, the PSF was, yeah, very much created to handle the legal holdings and issues for Python. And then it kind of grew into this big driver of the community. But it's purposely always been kept at arm's length from the development team because they didn't want the, no politics ever came into the actual development of the language. But they're there. I mean, they will totally provide support as necessary for services and such if we need them. But I don't know how corporations feel about that. I don't know if they like that idea of a nonprofit being the backstop for whatever. Now, I will say that some of the newer things we're doing, other than talking about PEPs, one of them is we have started to talk with the PSF about potentially getting like a project manager for very pointed things, like how do we handle the Python 2 sunset, right? It's coming up. I, it's going to be a party. <laughs> My wife's determined to get me really drunk on January 1st, 2020. But nice. there's a lot of stuff to happen between now and then, right? Like, what do we do about docs.python.org, for instance? Right now, there's docs.python docs.python.org slash two slash stuff and then slash three slash stuff. And if you Google stuff on Google, it's still oftentimes the first link is the Python two docs and then it's the Python three docs for a module, for instance. Yeah, I mean, what do you do? Three, three, one, three, yeah, two? Yeah, well, <laughs> the two docs will probably be going away, right? Because it's not supported anymore. Yeah, exactly. Just a permanent redirect over to the version three. Yeah, exactly. What other stuff do we have to suddenly deal with? Like, I'm sure there's a ton of stuff on python.org that mentions too, that honestly doesn't need to mention it come 2020 because we're not supporting it anymore. It's no longer... The download the download page on yeah, python.org. Yeah, I mean, luckily that's pointing straight to three now, but for the longest time it was both, but it's stuff like that. But when you go to like get all yeah. versions, right? It's got like all that, yeah. How are we going to handle all that stuff? So we, we're talking to uh, the PSF about getting us a PM for that. We're also talking to them about handling to getting a PM potentially about moving our issues to GitHub. There's an open pep about that and we're discussing the feasibility of that and part of that would probably require having a PM to handle that kind of major project. So we're talking to them like, okay, well, if we're going to consider this, we need to make sure we have a PM to help make that happen. So we're talking with the PSF right now about what that would look like to get a PM for us to help handle that specific thing. And so we're starting to have more of a conversation along those lines, but it's still early days. But back to the whole corporate onslaught and stuff, I don't know how many corporations realize that the PSF exists and they're there to help us as necessary because I've talked to corporations who have said like they've claimed they would throw money at us if they knew it would only go towards development because they don't care about the community. Honestly, for capitalistic reasons, they just care about the language. Right. We need this feature to be improved. And we not need even feature this area. We need people working on just, yeah, right. Okay. Just working on the runtime yeah, on the interpreter. Exactly. And all that How stuff, do we right? make sure that Python doesn't suddenly collapse under its own weight in next month? Because I got to at least make it through the quarter to make my numbers. Where can I send money? Because I'm just, I work for <laughs> a bank or something and I'm not set up to staff people to just contribute to Python full time. It's just, I don't even know how I promote such a person. So where do I throw money at this problem? And we just haven't structured things that way. And that conversation, I think, is also about probably it's going to start happening in the near future. It would be a good problem to have, right? If you actually could set this up and folks could contribute. But it's tricky, I know. Yeah, so I think the PM thing is probably going to be the first step. And then depending if that works out and how that goes, we'll probably see how wide of a net we want to start talking. Like personally, I would love to get like something like the Django Fellowship for Python dev. And have a core dev who's available be staffed for like six months or a year or something to do nothing but just work on closing PRs, closing issues, the community communication stuff. Basically, what Django has with the Django Fellowship program. I'd love to see that. Yeah, that'd be cool. I feel like that kind of deep work where you can just be 100% focused on it for a long time would probably make mm -hmm. a big difference. Yeah, cool. All right, well, that's that's all good news. Uh, I have a ton of other things I want to ask you, but I've already used up more than my time. So let me just ask you some real quick things. You're going to be at PyCon. There's going to be a language summit. People can see you there? Yes, there will be our annual language summit. I will be attending. I think I'd be in deep trouble if, I, as a council member, I didn't show up. So basically, as long as I make my connection in Milwaukee, uh, my flight out, I will be there. Uh, you could walk from Milwaukee. <laughs> <laughs> no, not really. But you'd be close. You could rent a car. So I think you're going to make it. I guess that's true. I never really thought about it that way. <laughs> I have 45 minutes to make my connection. I'm not really worried. It's just when I open up Trippin and it says connection at risk. It's like, oh, God. Yeah. It's more oh, than boy. half an hour. I think it's fine. I made it last year. It's just I don't love having that red banner in my face every time. It makes me a little worried, but I think no. I'll be fine. You should be fine. Exactly. Unless it's not. <laughs> yeah, perfect. All right, cool. Well, I'm definitely going to be there too. It's going to be a lot of fun. Really quickly, what is the upcoming feature 
either in 3.8 or beyond that's like you're most excited about? God. Language, standard library, whatever. I don't know if I really have one. I've just been too, I've been having to read all the peps. I haven't actually get to stop and really think about any of them quite yet. I've been too busy trying to find people to make the decision for me of whether or not we want it. Well, you're thinking I'll throw one out there. I'm really, uh, I was really impressed with the new support for shared memory in multiprocessing. That looks really cool coming in 3.8. Yeah, all the work Devin put in is going to be great for a lot of people, I think, to try to help with that. So that's going to be awesome. The other problem is, is because I live in the development, I forget what's even gone live or what hasn't gone live. So <laughs> version numbers blur for me horribly. So it's hard to even yeah. remember. I mean, honestly, I'm, I am curious <laughs> to get to use Simon Expressions and see how that works out in my code. Yeah, same. That'll be out pretty soon, yeah. One thing that did land that, once again, very controversial topic, but I actually think was a good thing, is we accepted positional-only arguments. Yeah, you've had keyword-only arguments for a while, so now it's like the anti-keyword-only arguments. It's the positional-only. Yeah, and uh, basically the way to think about it, you can go from positional-only to positional or keyword to keyword-only. And actually, the syntax actually works with that mnemonic. Uh, in case you haven't seen it, basically what happens is... is you have your parameters, and then if you put a forward slash... Forward slash, I yep, think, yeah. That, de- that demarcates the end of positional-only arguments. So everything past that will be keywords or positional. And then as soon as you have the asterisk by itself, that denotes uh, keyword-only. I think that's going to be really nice because it's going to deal with some annoying code where you actually do not care about that keyword name, and you really don't want to take it up. Like anything that like takes star-star keyword args, and you want to be able to take absolutely anything... Any argument, like even self, would actually muck with that and get in the way because that would anything you pass as the self as a keyword argument would get caught by that. And then it also adds some compatibility with C code. And I'm personally always happy to have more flexibility in how I design my APIs. So I'll go with positional-only arguments is the thing I'm most excited about. All right, right on. I like it as well. All right, final two questions before you get out of here. I... uh, have a hunch on what you're going to answer for the first one. I'm going to just put it out there. Favorite editor? VS Code. The, uh, more than a hunch. I think I'd be, I'd have a very stern conversation with my manager or my PMs <laughs> if I'd said anything else anyway. But Yeah, but you're working on the team because you like it. Yeah. I was actually happy when I got asked to work on the team and I was already a user and a fan. So it's that's, a that's choice. Cool. It's a lifestyle choice. Yeah. And if you look at the uh, Stack Overflow 2019 developer survey results, which just came out, like you guys are crushing it. So yeah, exactly. If you like Python and you like VS Code and based on Stack Overflow, you should like both. You should definitely be using VS Code with our Python extension. The number one most downloaded and most installed extension on the VS Code marketplace, actually. That's crazy. It beats C-Sharp. We beat everything, and it's not even even close. So (laughs) we're doing something right. Thank goodness. Yeah, I would say so. Awesome. All right, the notable PyPI package? I think, even though Brian Aachen, I know, sometimes gets upset with this package because it doesn't support his source preferred layout, I'm going to say flit because I still think not enough people realize how much simpler packaging could be if they just weren't using setup tools. Okay, flit, right on. That's awesome. Yeah. So for those of you that don't know, I worked on PEP 518, which is pyproject.toml, which is a way to standardize on how to specify how to build your packages. And obviously, everyone knows setup tools at this point is the way to do it. I should look at it, actually. Yeah, well, it's very straightforward and it works the way you would expect, right? Like, you don't have to specify your version anymore. You just specify the Dunder version in your package and it'll just use that. You don't have to open the file to in your setup.py to read a readme file. You just specify the path to your readme file. I mean, just really that's obvious yeah, ways yeah, to do yeah, things that we've all come to kind of like <laughs> forget that that's, oh yeah, we should be allowed to do that. And it's one file. It's all in your pyproject.toml. There's no more setup.py. There's no more setup.cfg. There's no no package-info, manifest.in, none of that. It all just works. Yeah. If it's yeah, that's in cool. Git, it gets packaged and... Thomas Cliver's done a great job with it. Cool. Uh, yeah, it sounds awesome. All right, I'm definitely going to check that out. So Flit, people uh, can do better yes. packaging. Cool. All right, final call to action. You know, people maybe want to give feedback or support the council or whatever. What do you got? Not much other than just be nice. I mean, there's nothing really specific yeah. other than just be supportive and be understanding. We're all on Twitter. We're all on social media. We're everywhere. We do see the negative comments and they don't really help. If you have feedback and it's constructive, that's great. But just being flat out cranky just doesn't really help. So my call to action is, and I have a whole keynote from PyCon US 2018 on this. Basically, be nice if you can. And if you can't, just be cranky, not in public, where the rest of us might see it. And 
That's a big one. That's good advice. Yeah. Will you all, like all the people on the council will be at PyCon? People come meet you? Yeah, I will be at PyCon. Well, I believe uh, all five of us will be at PyCon. We are actually going to be giving a panel keynote I believe Sunday morning, if I remember the date correctly. I will also, uh, PyCon's a keynote, the Keystone sponsor again this year. So I will probably be floating around the uh, Microsoft booth. So if people want to try to catch me, either catch me in the halls, I'm six foot six inches or 198 centimeters. It's kind of hard not to see me. You can be seen in a crowd for sure. I can be seen in a crowd. So if you see me walking down the hall, feel free to say hi. Otherwise, uh, just look for me at the Microsoft booth and just catch me there. All right, cool. Well, Brett, thank you for coming on and giving this update. It's really interesting and I think it'll be good to have it all spelled out for history. Yeah, yeah. It's nice to finally have it settled. I mean, going from July 12th to the beginning of February, it was kind of like... All right, where is this going to go? There were a couple moments where it was a bit <laughs> stressful. There were kind of like messages between some people behind the scenes about trying to get the vote set up and like, are we going to do it? Are we going to do it today? Do we need to push back? There was a lot of back and forth discussions and there's a lot of a lot of passions. People did pretty well with keep at keeping it civil and in check, which was great, but it's definitely nice to have it finally all resolved and we're all just moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, thanks for being on the show. Catch up with you later. All right, see, see you, you later. Yeah, bye. This has been another episode of Talk Python to Me. Our guest on this episode is Brett Cannon, and it's been brought to you by Linode and Backlog. Linode is your go-to hosting for whatever you're building with Python. Get four months free at talkpython.fm slash Linode. That's L-I-N-O-D-E. With Backlog, you can create tasks, track bugs, make changes, give feedback, and have team conversations right next to your code. Try Backlog for your team for free for 30 days using the special URL talkpython.fm slash backlog. Want to level up your Python? If you're just getting started, try my Python Jumpstart by Building 10 Apps course. Or if you're looking for something more advanced, check out our new async course that digs into all the different types of async programming you can do in Python. And of course, if you're interested in more than one of these, be sure to check out our everything bundle. It's like a subscription that never expires. Be sure to subscribe to the show. Open your favorite podcatcher and search for Python. We should be right at the top. You can also find the iTunes feed at slash iTunes, the Google Play feed at slash play, and the direct RSS feed at slash RSS on talkpython.fm. This is your host, Michael Kennedy. Thanks so much for listening. I really appreciate it. Now get out there and write some Python code.